begin talking to you tonight about the transformation killer and uh, the thing that will stop God's good plan to transform you into the image of His Son dead in its tracks. And uh, it takes your cooperation to do that. I just want to just remind you of a very powerful thing that Keith Moore has said on many, many occasions. He said, in the body of Christ today, you have so many people that are resisting things they ought to be yielding to and yielding to things they ought to be resisting. You and I should not be yielding to sin or to temptation. We shouldn't be yielding to lack and bondage and sickness and disease. Don't get in the habit of just accepting attacks that are coming against you. You should be resisting those. And in that effort tonight, you should be resisting the thing that would kill and, and hinder your transformation. Remember that when you look at Mark 9, always remember when you're, when you're reading about or thinking about the transfiguration of Christ, He revealed Himself to them in all of His glory, the way He actually is. Another great thing about the transfiguration story is who showed up with Jesus? Moses and Elijah. And how do you believe that Peter never met Moses or Elijah? And yet he knew who they were. The inner core knew who they were. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And these great men of God were not in a grave asleep, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So there's a lot of powerful things in that story. But it also tells you to me, not just what Jesus actually is like, but what we're supposed to be becoming in Him. There's a transformation that's going on. And uh, you know, we haven't gotten there yet, but aren't you glad you're making progress? Come on, turn this way and say, you're making progress, whether you realize it or not. The reality is we're just not what we used to be. And sometimes the devil likes to accuse you and other people, you know, try to point out your flaws. But we are nothing like we used to be. He's done so much in our lives. And I'll tell you, to believe anything else is to discount the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the blood and the Father and the Word of God. Uh, we're not where we used to be, but we're far from where we need to be. And that's why we talk about things like glorification and in the context this year, transformation. Remember Romans chapter 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, your reasonable worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Same word used in Mark 9, same word used in Romans is the word we get from the Greek metamorphosis. It means transformed. And it's important you understand that we're going from one state to another, one form to another. And the same exact word is used over in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image. Now raise your hand if you're born again. Have you met the Lord? then that power is at work in you right now. You are being transformed from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from victory to victory. You're being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So I don't feel like I'm being transformed. Your feelings have nothing to do with it. In fact, there's absolutely nothing in spiritual work that requires participation of your feelings. You may have a feeling response to something, you might have an emotional response to the presence of God. That's fine and dandy, but your emotions have nothing to do with the transformation going on. The transformation, of course, is primarily spiritual, 
and will affect your emotions, but you don't have to feel anything for God to be at work inside of you. And when you get to that place and you believe that and accept that, it's going to help you mature faster. It's going to help you be what God wants you to be. So keep that in mind. Again, transformation is the supernatural and divine change and transition of the believer into the image of Christ. We're talking about His image. We're talking about you know, His values, His purpose, His character, His priorities. We're talking about His kind of fruit. We're talking about being just like Him. C.S. Lewis you know, wrote this years ago and took some flack for it, but it was true. He said, God's intent and design and goal for you and for me is that we would become little Christ. He was under no confusion about we're going to become the Messiah. No, that's not what we're talking about, but to be anointed just like him, to be in his image and his character and his values and his beliefs and follow the father. You know, Jesus only did what he saw the father do. And he only said what the father what? Told him to say, that's where we're headed as people of God. And that doesn't mean robotrons, it means we walk in such honor for him that we flow like the Lord flowed when he was on this earth. So there's a transformation going on. And there is powerful forces at work to transform you. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, the blood is not weak. Amen. The Father is not weak. No. The Word is not weak. The Spirit of God is not weak. But there are some things that can absolutely sabotage and kill the transformation that God's trying to do in your life because he won't force you to be transformed. And if you start yielding to the things you should be resisting, you will compromise that transformation process in your life. And I see it all the time. In fact, I could tell you stories from every year I've ever been in ministry where people took the baits and allowed the transformation to stop and I liken it to this. This is the way I kind of felt uh, the Spirit of God gave to me. You know, cryogenics is where they freeze somebody's body or head, thinking that in the future, the ball player Ted Simmons, for example, has his head frozen. Uh, boy, is he going to be disappointed. <laughs> but uh, the idea is that one day when medical science catches up, they'll bring these people back to, to life to live out their natural days of whatever it is that uh, they killed them. Well, this is what happens in transformation if you yield to things that will poison or hinder or stop your transformation, you're just stuck. And every person I've ever met that yielded to the wrong thing during the transformation, it's like they're stuck in time. You can find them where they were five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, not bearing fruit, not growing, not developing, not making a difference. They got stuck by this transformation killer. Look at somebody and say, amen or oh me. The enemy, and if I'm right about this, then give me a good amen. Everybody in this room tonight has experienced the new birth. You should be excited about that. That's the greatest miracle you'll ever experience in your entire existence for all eternity, what Jesus did for you. Now, the devil wasn't able to stop your new birth. Aren't you glad for that? He is not powerful like your God. His power is in deception, amen, and misalignment and half-truths. He didn't do that, but he'll settle for second best. He'll settle for you aborting your transformation. You align your will with him. You submitted your life to Christ. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life tonight. Aren't you glad for that? Um, he couldn't stop that. But he can stop you from being a force for good on this earth by moving to block your transformation. You know that, uh, that scientists have now discovered ways that if they want to actually stop the metamorphosis of a certain species, they can do that. 
with chemical agents and uh, environmental agents, atmospheric agents, climate agents. They can actually stop some species from growing. Now, how many of you would be great if we could do it to like mosquitoes? Amen. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just, <laughs> I suppose they have some kind of purpose. Amen. Or they wouldn't be here. But uh, they could stop that. Uh, that has implications for pests, you know, in our lives. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that were true for the human variety? <laughs> but we're talking about pests, uh, and they can stop that. Well, the devil has certain devices that work real well on the metaphor, metamorphosis of the, of the believer. And the thing that will kill, absolutely kill your transformation is you and me choosing to walk in offense and strife. In 2023, you would think we'd have more revelation on this. And by revelation, this don't mean we know things. The revelation you really have is the revelation you know and you're doing. Amen. Amen. Now watch this. The enemy couldn't stop you from your new birth, so he'll settle for second best, stopping your transformation into the image of Christ. And his most effective weapon in doing this is strife and offense. Offense and strife are the poison that block the metamorphosis and transformation of the believer into the image of Christ. And that's why you seem to have nonstop opportunities to get into strife and offense. They seem to come from everywhere, you know, in various places. And sometimes it surprises you where they come from. And if you take that bait, if you eat the poison, yeah. you'll, st you'll still be saved. Yeah. But you'll be frozen in time. You'll be stuck. Will you go in the rapture? Yeah, as long as you deal with things in your own heart. Amen. But I'm telling you that, that God has more for you in, in terms of his plan than just dying and going to heaven one day or being raptured one day. You say, Pastor, are you one of those that still believe in the rapture? You better believe I believe in the rapture. And, and this, this, this teaching out there that denies the rapture is another device of the devil to keep God's people, amen, off the, off the, off the ready mark for when he comes back. That's right. Same people teaching there's no hell. Same people teaching and decrying the things of God. Can I tell you something? The doctrine of hell didn't come from the Catholic Church. It came from the mouth of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Right. Don't forget that. Right. There is a rapture. I love what John Hagee said recently. He said, you know what? All the nations mentioned, all the nations that are part of Gog and Magog, they exist right now. There's nothing to stop God from moving right now. And he made this statement, and I understand where he was coming from. He said, not only is the rapture of the church imminent, he said it could be overdue. Now you think about that. That puts us right there. You say, what does this have to do with transformation? I'll tell you what it has to do with you, He that hath this hope in himself purifieth yes. himself, even as he is pure. When you know he's coming, it could come any moment. You're going to live right. You're going to talk right. You're going to act right. You're going to be right. Yes. And the more we push this out of the consciousness of the people of God, the looser they're living. The less eternally minded they are. And then tell them, hey, there's no hell. So then live however you want to. You believe on Jesus, so great, and everything's fine. Yeah? Uh, even the demons believe. Yeah. The Bible says in what? Tremble. And tremble. Believing is not enough. Do you know what the demons don't do? Obey. They don't believe enough to obey. Amen. So I don't know about you. Uh, 
uh, I want to hear the pastor's message on the connection between the rapture and transformation. Because yes. yeah. he's coming. Yes. Ready or not. Yeah. Remember that when you were a kid? You count to 15 or 20 playing hide and seek. You go find a little hiding place and the kid says, ready or not. Here I come. Here I come. You know what God is saying right now? Ready or not, my son is coming. That's it. We need to watch what we're doing, watch what we're listening to. And we for sure need to stop taking in the things that are cutting off our transformation. You know, life really isn't all that long on this planet. You need to make sure you're using what you have left being transformed and being a tool of transformation for God, not constantly going from one issue to another, one offense to another, one strife to another, constantly never transforming because the devil has got you pegged. Well, if this has been a temptation for you, this is the year we say, you know what? No more devil in Jesus' name. Come on, say it by faith. I'm being delivered, I'm being delivered from, offense from offense and strife, and strife permanently. How you know if you get off heroin, you want to get off permanently? If you're an alcoholic, you want to get off permanently. And if you've been enthralled by, by strife, you want to be delivered permanently. Because of the power it has to absolutely. And if you think about it, it's not just pastors. If you think about it, you know people in and out of the body of Christ who are stuck because of strife and offense. And the problem is if you try to tell them that, you better duck. They'll put you on their hit list. You know, the Christians shouldn't have hit lists. Can I have a better amen than that? Because if you don't amen me, this message is going to make a turn. In a total different direction. Real fast. Come on and say it. I don't have a hit list. I have a blessing list. It's a tough thing to do is experience things and not get caught up in offense and strife. It's not easy to do. And uh, the further you go down the path of God, uh, you know, the more anointed you become, the more in line with God's will you become, the more you're going to be targeted for things like offense and strife. But the Bible hasn't changed. We're still supposed to love people. That's the hardest thing in the world is to love people when, you know, they try to entice you into strife and offense and betrayal and all that kind of thing. Um, your job is to stay in love. Um, Kelly was telling me about uh, something that Queen Elizabeth mentioned, and it's also written by her biographers. And uh, you can't say that every king or queen in, in England's history really was born again, but this woman was genuinely, authentically born again and had the fruit to show it. And she would always say that her official policy was never explain, never complain, never explain. And how many understand if, if you are uh, the head of a state like that and the head of this rich, you know, heritage of royalty? you got critics out there. Yeah. And it's the same thing in true in any role of leadership. You have all kinds of people who think you're not doing this right, not doing that right, or in your own life where you could do this better or whatever. And there's always going to be criticism. So what her motto was, I'm never going to what? Complain. If you're going to what? If you're going to be what God's called you to be, you might as well just accept it. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And if you happen to be a Pentecostal cup of tea, oh, gee. Or a, a word of faith cup of tea. A spirit-filled, tongue-talking, amen, word of faith cup of tea. The further you go into the things of God, don't expect the world and religion to stand up and cheer for you. We're not looking for their applause anyway. So she would say, never complain. Come on, say it. Never complain. Never complain. 
And you know, when you feel like there are days or weeks we're getting piled on, it's tough not to complain. But what good does it do? Let me ask you, what good does it do to complain over things that are being said and targeted at you? They're designed to get you into strife and into offense. Now watch this. Complaining is your first step into strife and offense. Because not only are you meditating on this, you're giving voice to the issue. Never complain, say it with me, never explain. In other words, don't you run around trying to take up for yourself. Your side of the story, if they only knew. And that is biblical. The first one, the Bible says, to present his case seems true until the other one comes to cross-examine him. Mark this down. In the body of Christ, it's always the silent one that's right. Always. The one that's talking. Amen. Defending, going after people kind of a thing, kind of spread their side. They're usually the one that's trying to protect something. Your job is not to explain anything. Your job is to trust God. And you know what I found out as a pastor, as just a human being, that sooner or later, it always comes out. So say it with me. I'm not going to complain and I'm not going to explain. And somebody comes to me and they want me to, to give them some wisdom on something, that's fine. But you, what you want to do is not set yourself up for strife and offense to kill your transformation. Listen, that person is already in offense and already in strife. They're already DOA. Why would you follow that? Can I help you out tonight? Are you here tonight? Yes. <laughs> um, there's only one thing dumber than a person who chooses to walk in strife and offense. And that's the person that chooses to listen and follow the person who's in strife and offense. It wasn't the movie. The original Dumb and Dumber is that. Come on, say, Dumb, dumb. and Dumber. Dumb. They're walking in offense and strife. Their transformation is being poisoned. Now you're going to follow that stuff. No. So you got to do is see that as radioactive. Yeah. Amen. Say it with me. I don't have to complain. I don't have to complain. And I don't have to explain. Paul said this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. This is from the Amplified. And the servant of the Lord must not be in strife or quarrelsome, fighting and contending. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, mild-tempered, preserving the bond of peace. He must be skilled and suitable teacher, patient and forbearing and willing to suffer wrong. In other words, take the hit. Don't have to defend yourself all the time. If you'll be quiet, the Lord will take care of that thing. And how I many of you know he knows all the facts? What is it that just causes us to want to rise up and defend ourselves and explain? It's pride. Is that going to help us? No, it's not going to help us. James 3.16 says this, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion. And every evil work. Listen out again. Where there is envying and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. So you'll see that envying and strife, right? These things go together and produce every kind of evil work. Well, that could be something that becomes targeted at you, but you should never be participating in that. You keep your heart free from envy. Your heart free from strife. 
These things don't come on you or just happen to you. We have to choose these things. We have to yield to these things. Say it with me. I should yield to love and resist strife and offense. John Bevere said it like this. An offended heart is the breeding ground for deception. Before the person is deceived, they're offended. So when you see somebody on their high horse, you know, they're filled with strife and filled with offense, you know, and now they're walking in deception, you know that deception points to something even more nefarious. It didn't start that way. They opened themselves up to deception, strong deception, because of the condition of the heart. Because why? The transformation has stopped. You cannot block the transformation of becoming like Christ and expect that you're going to have the mind and revelation. You're not going to have the formation, spiritual formation. You're not going to have the ability to discern good and evil, right from wrong. All these things shut down when you choose to enter into strife. You really are in a terrible place when you yield to strife and offense. He also said our response to an offense determines our future. Couldn't be put any better than that. If you want a bright and holy and victorious future, you got to decide how you're going to respond to the opportunity to get offended. Look at somebody and say, I believe I'll pass. Say, I believe I'll pass. Offense and strife are the poison that blocks the metamorphosis and transformation of the believer into the image of Christ. And it's easy to see this because of the prevalence of offense and strife that comes at us. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 4, guard your heart with what? All diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. And, you know, I wish as a pastor I could, uh, I could guard your heart for you, but it's 24-7 for me to guard my own. I don't have the time or the energy to guard yours. You have to take this seriously because that's how this works. This stuff enters into your thinking and into your speech and into your heart. It seems so subtle and so benign. Next thing you know, it's running your life. It's ruining, you know, everything good God's trying to do in you. And it didn't get there by accident. So don't put up with it even for a moment. It's better for you, the apostle said, to be wrong than for you to enter into strife and offense. Well, how come I have to be wrong? They didn't do anything wrong. Nobody said you did something wrong. It's better to be wrong. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And you sit there and let the Lord move in that situation. Then for you to become the person of strife and offense, stand up trying to explain yourself and put that person in the place they belong. Amen. Tell them the way it is. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of nice to the flesh to do that. How many of y'all enjoy from time to time giving somebody the what for and the how to? Flesh loves it. But a spiritual person, five seconds and not even that long after they do it, they're going to feel convicted. And they're going to realize it didn't produce anything good. It compromised their witness, took away their peace. Because even if it was for a second, a small split second of offense and strife, even that was damaging to you. You know, how many of you have ever had that feeling where you should have just listened to the Holy Ghost and shut your mouth? Raise your hand. Raise it up high, a bunch of heathen. Raise it up high. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and immediately the Holy Ghost began to remind you who you were. Now, imagine that you live like that every day. That's the consequence of the poison of offense and strife and what happens to the believer when they choose to yield to it, the transformation shuts down. What does it mean to be offended? It means to be scandalized, 
It means to be entrapped. It means to be enticed to sin, to be snared. It's called a stumbling block in Scripture. And, you know, you and I are not called to, to stumble over those things. And we're not called to be stumbling blocks for other people, are we? Are we not supposed to help people get to heaven? Are we not supposed to make it hard to get to, he to, get to hell from Murray, Kentucky? Stand in the way and say, this is the way, walk you in. And exactly. Well, let's talk a little bit more about this tonight. There are reasons why people get into strife and offense. And these are all from the scriptures. Now, I'm not going to go and open up every single one of these, but I do want you to write them down. And then when we get done with this, this, ask yourself a question. Is this the kind of person that you want to be? Because this is the kind of person that gets into strife and offense. First of all, a greedy person stirs up strife. Proverbs 28, 25. See, well, we just got into strife because we have a disagreement about policy or procedure or ethics or scripture or doctrine. No, my brothers or sister. What's behind that strife-laid mentality is greed of some kind. It's very easy for us to look all, all high and mighty and, and in the right, but until you strip back what's behind that. No one's going to say, I'm greedy and this is the way I, why I'm getting into strife. No one's going to say that. Only the Holy Ghost can put the finger on that situation. Number two, a prideful person stirs up strife. Proverbs 13.10, straight out of the Word of God. There is never going to be any time where you initiate or put up with or yield to strife where pride is not behind what you're doing. Ever. You can speak the truth in love without getting into strife, but you will never, ever get into strife without pride being in your life at the same time. What happens to people that are full of pride? Pride goes before? Before what? Before promotion? Before elevation? Before acclamation? No, it goes before destruction. A greedy person is the person that gets into strife. A prideful person is the person that gets into strife. Number three, Scripture says a dishonest or perverse person stirs up strife. Proverbs uh, 16, 28. Think about that. <laughs> Nobody's going to say, uh, I'm in strife, and the reason I'm in strife is because I'm a perverse person. No. They're going to go for the high ground and make everybody think that what they're doing is correct. No, they're going to do all the explaining they can to make it look like they're in the right. No, but behind it all is a thing like greed and pride, dishonesty and perversity. Number four, an envious person stirs up strife. James 3.16 says that envy and strife go together. Envious, interesting word, isn't it? No, I'm in strife because I'm in the right and I got to correct everybody. I got to fix everybody. You know what? We don't need you to fix everybody. Take care of yourself. Amen. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Knock off the I'm God's ordained person to criticize and correct everybody. No, who are you to judge another man's servant? Who are you? It's great that you love God. That's great, but that is not your role. And what ends up happening is, and I've seen this so many times, it, it comes off, yes, I'm, I'm taking a stand. But behind that strife is envy. The person they're in strife with or the people they're in strife with, God's doing something in their life. They have something, they're walking in something, and they're envious of that. But no one's going to come out and say, the reason I'm walking in strife is I envy what you have. No. 
I'm envious of your relationship. I'm envious of your family. I'm envious of what you live in. I'm envious of what you drive in. I'm envious of how much you make. I'm envious of the anointing in your life. I'm envious of that ministry. No one is going to say that. They're just going to walk in what? Belligerent strife and offense. An error of, I'm right, they're wrong, pitiful poor people. But I tell you what, when you're honest with yourself tonight, and you, you take seriously what it's saying, that, that if I'm entering into strife and offense, it's because I'm greedy, prideful, dishonest, and envious. Ouch. You start to do a self-reflection here that will push you away from the temptation to be filled with strife and offense. The sad thing is, you don't need to get into strife and offense because you look at somebody, you, you appreciate what they have, and you like to have it. All you have to do is just believe God. Years ago, somehow in the body of Christ, there started this teaching. Yep, so-and-so got a house, or so-and-so got a promotion, or so-and-so got blessed with this ministry, or so-and-so had this open door, and I'm next in line. My brothers and sisters, there is no line. It's one deep around the Father. That's how big he is. Come on, say it. I am next in line, and there's no one in front of me. Amen. You'd be amazed how many Christians got into strife and offense because secretly there was envy operating in their life. Amen. <laughs> uh, we spent five years in Hopkinsville pastoring, and you know, precious people over there, a lot of military. It was a wonderful time in ministry. And uh, Jay Schaefer, some of you met him. He was uh, Mark's very first convert at Murray State University. And uh, Jay was here for our special 212 and Jay was actually on the board of directors at the church in Hopkinsville when we got the call to preach there. So it was nice to have somebody that was connected to Mark and back to our fellowship here. And, and so he was a great resource. And so the way that church was set up was they had, uh, they had people who were elected as board members or deacons. And then they also had two men that were elders, which were, you know, permanent positions. But they had to have been a, a director first and been faithful to that. So when there was an opening, that board would say, we nominate so-and-so to be that elder. Well, Jay was nominated, but this other fellow thought he should have been nominated. Watch this. And instead of just saying, you know what, I want to be the elder. How many of you know if somebody acts like that, they're not elder material? No, that's right. Amen? Put a broom in their hand. Let them de-ice the sidewalk. They're not ready for eldership. Does that make sense? But what he, what he appealed to and how this church did this was if you were a board member, you were elected by the people. This is the way every church has government bylaws. It's the way it was set up. Larry Mead wrote this. I had nothing to do with it. I inherited it. But this is the way it was done. And so you would have a, a board member. The pastor, of course, would be elected by the people. And then you'd have board members elected by the people. When it came to the elders, they were already elected. They were appointed by the board. And then they were confirmed by the people with the laying on of hands. How many understand when a, when a pastor is ordained for the ministry, they what? They don't say, let's all vote and see if he can be what? Confirmed and ordained. No, they lay hands on them ecclesiastically and they pray over them and commission them. And this is the way it was done for years in this church. And so instead of just saying, I'm envious, I want to be the board member, he began to say, well, that's not the way it's supposed to be. There's supposed to be an election over an elder. Where you have envious strife, you have what? Every Evil work. 
Ironically, I never had an issue with this guy the whole time he was there. But what happens when you have envy and jealousy? So uh, during this time of our, our business meeting, he began to, with some other people that, uh, that agreed with him, well, there needs to be an election here. But how many of you know the Holy Ghost is wonderful? Amen. Everybody say, thank God, thank God. for the Holy Ghost. Yeah, Holy Ghost. In my nowhere, I knew something was up. <laughs> and so I went back 15 years of history to every minute of every business session <laughs> where they had raised up an elder and confirmed him by laying out of hands. And not one of those times was there a vote. And so your pastor just read them one by one. One by one. And shut that whole thing down. But can you see where it was coming from? No one says I'm in strife because I'm right about that. No, there's something going on in the heart behind that. In this case, it was envy. Now, one of our oldest members over there, uh, Geraldine Mosley, her husband was a truck driver, and he was a military retiree that stayed in the area. He comes up to me after that service, and he goes, you sure you weren't supposed to be a lawyer? (laughs) (laughs) He just smiled and walked away. But I will tell you that people that, that... characteristically are solid and good and wholesome, and this man was. I love him today. I never had an issue with him. But when that envy comes in, they turn into a different person. We're supposed to be turning into the image of Christ, not into the Godzilla because we envy what somebody else has. You just follow God and you'll be where you're supposed to be. God will open up the door he needs to open up for you. Amen. The power to do that will come to you. Amen. You'll have the place to live. You'll have the car to drive. You'll have the job. You'll have the resources. He's no respect or a person. Hey, the blessing is real. The empowerment to prosper is real. Come on, say it with me. It is real. You don't need to envy somebody else. They've got a different blessing than I have. No, they got the same, they got the same garment. They're just learning how to what? How to walk in it. And you don't need to envy anything the blessing produced because the same blessing on them is on you if you're born again. Amen. Amen. The blessing. Amen. Given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles by faith because he redeemed us from the curse. Come on, say it. I'm blessed. blessed. You don't need to be greedy. Don't need to be prideful, dishonest, or envious. The Bible says, James 3.14, a jealous and a selfish person stirs up strife. Somebody, everybody say jealous. Everybody say jealous. Say selfish. Envy often refers to someone who looks at your life and, and they want something that you have. And oftentimes it's material or it's, it's position, that kind of a thing. Jealousy often refers to relationships. You'd be amazed how many Christians have lost their transformation and gone into ice age mode because they wanted a relationship somebody else had. God will hook you up with who you need to be hooked up with. Amen. And has it dawned on you that maybe God kept you from some people to protect you? Some people have no business being in your life. They're not going to bless you. They're not going to help you. They're going to be a drag and a weight and a hindrance to you. But I have, I've watched this, that... Uh, you know, if, if someone perceives that uh, you have a relationship with somebody, regardless of what that is in the body of Christ, that uh, 
you know, they become jealous of that, thinking that somehow they can't have a quality relationship. And that jealous thing comes out. And what do they call envy and jealousy? What do they call it? Green monster? Yeah, green Everybody say monster. monster. Does that sound like a Christian? Monster. No. There's my mom would say mongster. Yeah, how many of y'all were Polly Eyes Peachy is? Yeah. <laughs> um, Denise's grandmother, uh, Sister Turley was the first person I met when I came back here as a college student. Uh, and that was way back, I think, in 1983, and just smile all the time and hug everybody, loved everybody. But, um, you know, when I came here to pastor, she'd say, hey, we're all going to Polyogs. You want to come to Polyogs with us? I'm like, Polyogs, Polyogs. So I'd always tease my mom and her, Polyogs and monsters, monsters at Polyogs, amen. But, <laughs> There's no reason for you to be a monster. You have what you have. God will give you what you need. Amen. Amen. The greedy person stirs up strife. A prideful person stirs up strife. A dishonest person stirs up strife. An envious person stirs up strife. A jealous and selfish person stirs up strife. And yet they're not going to say that. They're going to focus on some policy, some ethical situation, some doctrine. They're going to find some wedge issue to cover over the real issues going on in their heart and life. This is true of every person in strife and offense. An angry person stirs up strife. Proverbs 29, 22. Shocking. <laughs> well, the person in strife and offense is an angry person. The Bible says what? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. What does this person do? They live in it. They seethe in their anger and they cover it with other things. But behind all that is anger over something. Number seven, a hateful person stirs up strife. Proverbs 10, 12. How many know we're not supposed to be hateful? Yeah. Come on, say Christians, Christians are not supposed to be hateful. Not to be hateful. Wow, that's deep, Pastor. Can we have a lesson on that? The hateful Christian. We're not supposed to be hateful Christians. That should be an oxymoron. He said, by our what? Love. By your love, they'll know that you are. My disciples. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is, the greatest of these is policy, procedure, denomination, organization, ecclesiology, doctrine, building design. The greatest of these is what? Love. Oh, but oh, not for the person in strife and offense. They actually have hate operating in their lives. Can you see how dangerous this is? Why would this strife and offense shut down transformation? You can see it plain as day. Greed, pride, hatred, envy, jealousy. There's not going to be any forward movement when this is there. But you and I can't afford to pretend, well, we're just upset over that situation. You know, they're wrong and I'm right. But when you peel back the layers, you find out there's a whole lot more to strife and offense than just what it appears to be. An intractable difference of opinion. I don't know. That's for the one who really doesn't want to do the work and let God minister to them. I tell you, you need to value the transformation God is at work in your life with. You need to value the future and the destiny that you have. Can I have a good amen tonight? Yes, amen. Bible says, number eight, a foolish person stirs up strife. Proverbs 20, verse 3. <laughs> Anybody doing this is not the brightest bulb in the box. Now, why would you follow somebody who's not the brightest bulb in the box? Amen. 
Why would you follow what the Bible calls a fool? No. A person in strife and offense is, in fact, biblically a fool. We're not violating Scripture by calling somebody a fool. We're just simply telling you the Scripture says that a person who tends to strife and offense is, in fact, a fool. Not walking in the wisdom of God. Uh, can you see why the devil would like to tempt us to enter into this? Number nine, a worldly person stirs up strife. 1 Corinthians 3.3. 3. Are you not carnal because there's jealousies and arguments among you, Paul said? You're worldly, not spiritual. Worldliness leads to strife and offense. Spirituality leads to avoiding it. As much as lies with you, the Bible says, live at peace. Do you know that you can live at peace with somebody and they can be at war with you? That's their problem. Unless you enter into it with them. But if you do, you're worldly as well. But spiritual people walk in love and grace and forgiveness. No matter how many times they get hammered, they come back out with their one response, I'm going to walk in love. Say it, I'm walking in love. I'm walking in love no matter what. And you have that mindset, then you will continue your transformation. That's how powerful the force of love is. The Bible says faith worketh by love. It's actually energized by love. Number 10, a lustful person stirs up strife. James 4.1. James says, you know what the, the root of your arguments and your quarrel is? Lust. You lust after things and can't have them. You're frustrated. <laughs> no one wants to say, you know, I, I've gotten into offense and I've gotten into strife. And the reason I am is because I'm a lustful person. Mm -hmm. No one's going to say that. But that's the reality. Lust is behind that strife. And behind that offense, you want something and you can't have it, James says. Number 11, an insolent person stirs up strife. What in the world is an insolent person? This is a person who is prideful to the point of rudeness and disrespect. Proverbs 13.10, an insolent person, prideful to the point of rudeness and disrespect. Say that with me, insolent, prideful to the point of rudeness and disrespect. How many know a Christian should be anything but rude and disrespectful? Can you have a conversation without being disrespectful and rude? Can you have a disagreement without being disrespectful and rude? No, not for the one given to strife and offense. Whenever you see that behavior coming out, you know what the root of that actually is. There's more to it that meets the eye. You and I are called to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Things like kindness. The opposite of being what? Rude. Anybody here ever be tempted to be rude? Be careful because rudeness and disrespect is a front door to offense and strife in your life. And you'll walk through that door thinking that's no big deal. I was just momentarily rude and disrespectful. But you got captured as you went through that door. And you stayed a lot longer than you thought that you would have. Uh, Christians aren't supposed to be rude and disrespectful. And I've, I've seen this through the years come out, and I can tell you this, that, that it always ends the same way. The big problem here is not even the rudeness and the disrespect, the strife, the offense. It's that it shuts down the transformation. You watch a rude, disrespectful Christian who walks in strife and offense, in 20 years from now, they'll be the same. Nothing would have changed for them. 
still frustrated, still miserable, still mad at the world, still angry at everything and not even understanding why. Because they're held captive. This shouldn't come as a surprise to you. Proverbs 17, 19, a sinful person stirs up strife. A person captured by sin. Bottom line is, Timothy was warned that the devil would love to get a hold of you, to capture you, to apprehend you for his purpose and for his will. Strife is the front door for that. Sinfulness and strife and offense go hand in hand. So we just need to knock off the idea that somehow we're in strife and offended, but we're holy. We're somehow right in all this. We're, we're above it all. No, the reality is you're in sin. Yeah. Say it with me. Strife, strife. And, offense and offense are sins. Are sins. Say it again. Strife, strife. And, offense and offense are, are. are sins. Nah, man, I'm just fed up. I'm just put out. No, according to what Scripture says, you're greedy, prideful, dishonest, envious, jealous, angry, hateful, foolish, worldly, lustful, insolent, and sinful. Well, that sounds like a great thing. Amen. How many glad you came to church tonight? Amen. <laughs> when you see these things trying to manifest in your life that lead you into strife, if you be honest about it, you can deal with the root before you start walking in the fruit. Proverbs 6, 19, the Bible says there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to Him. Now that's not a very big list, is it? I'm going to go ahead and read the list to you because it's not that long. Everybody say there are six things, six things. The, Lord hates. the Lord hates. Can I have an amen that if there's something on this list in our lives, we should probably get rid of it quickly? Six that he hates, seven that are detestable. Other translations would call these abominable, not like in the snowman variety. Proverbs 6, in uh, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, The heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. A man or woman in strife and offense is detestable to the Lord. And to make a difference, what we think we're right about, it is just absolutely dead wrong. And I don't know about you, if I yield to something that's detestable to the Lord, it is not going to propel me in my transformation. It's going to stop me right in my tracks. He hates this. You can go through Scripture, go from cover to cover, and you will not find many times where the Lord just outright says, I hate this. There are there. But this is a very, very short list. He hates when someone in, called by his name is stirring up strife among brothers and sisters. Now, somebody may try to do that occasionally around you. Make sure you just say, you know what, talk to the hand. I got too much teaching and revelation on strife and offense to follow you. I'm not going to be your dumber. 
I'm going to keep my transformation moving forward. I can, I encourage you to do the same to seek the Lord because what's going on in your life, you know, is something the Lord is not pleased with. No matter how you justify it. Say it with me. Strife and offense and division is never justified. In fact, Paul said to Titus in chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, and we'll wrap it up here. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. Listen to this language. Hey, Titus, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and self-condemned. Someone divisive is not carrying the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've not been mandated or commissioned by God. On the contrary, Paul calls them sinful and warped for engaging in that behavior. They're self-condemned. Note, the Bible calls them warped, sinful, and self-condemned. The transformation is, is killed. The message says, warn a quarrelsome person once or twice, but then be done with him. It's obvious that such a person is out of line, rebellious against God. By persisting in divisiveness, he cuts himself off. No, I'm at war against that person. I'm at war against that denomination. I'm at war against that church. I'm, I'm at war against that belief system. I'm at war against that doctrine. You're at war against God and you don't even realize it. So what do you do? You watch your own heart. You guard your own heart for this kind of thing. Uh, you pray for people that are in that kind of situation. But number one, you don't yield to that. You resist that in Jesus' name. It'll block your transformation. Um, but you for sure don't follow a person who is operating all these characteristics of the person in strife and in offense. You know? Do you know that you'll become what you follow? You listen to a greedy person, you're going to become one. Prideful person, you're going to become one. Dishonest, perverse. Envious, jealous, angry, hateful, foolish, worldly, lustful, insolent, sinful, you're going to become it. And I've watched this happen too through the years. That, uh, you know, somebody will take on somebody else's strife and somebody else's offense. Raise your hand if you've ever watched this since you've been a Christian. Does it ever end well? No. no. How many would say you don't have to lift your hands tonight? that you have given your ear from time to time to somebody who was strife-laden and offended. And they almost got you. Everybody say, almost. almost. Say it again. Say, almost. almost. Now, that should be a warning sign to you and to me to be more alert about what's going on. And judge things, you know, without emotion based on the Scripture. Just look at the fruit. Are they walking in love? Are they walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Is there kindness there? Amen. Is there gentleness there? Um, we think that uniformity of thought and belief and conduct and doctrine, that is the highest order in the kingdom of God. My brothers and sisters, love is the highest order in the kingdom of God. I got news for you. On some issue of belief or doctrine or thought, you're wrong. Even more shocking, I can assure you that I am too. How can we possibly measure against the mind and the correctness and the integrity of God? That's it. 
We have not arrived. We're a work in progress. So how in the world could we do anything but walk in in love? So just guard what? Your own heart. Not somebody else's. Amen? There's only one thing dumber than being a person of offense and strife. Being a person who follows a person of strife. This is dumb and dumber. And then if somebody follows the person who follows a person in strife, they're dumb, dumber, and dumbest. Amen. Amen. They're just like a, a dumb club. <laughs> you and I can't afford to be spiritually dumb in the days that we live in. Amen. Um, the Bible says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. The Bible says guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. The Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's enough for you to deal with your own heart. Amen. Amen. And you trying to be the Holy Ghost for somebody else, just don't do it. And it gets tough. I mean, and there are some people that know how to put some pressure on you. Uh, no matter what's put, what pressure is put on you to conform to this kind of strife-laden lifestyle, just resist it. Resist it steadfast in the faith. Resist it in the what? The devil will flee from you. Now, we're not saying the person is a devil. We're saying that the spiritual operation behind somebody in strife is the devil. One of the things that Dr. Barkley always says is don't ever deal in personalities and deal in flesh and deal in human beings. Always deal with the spirits that are behind them. Because if you just deal with the flesh and blood and the human beings, you're going to miss the mark. It's a devil that's operating against somebody's heart and against their mind. Now, why would you do that? Well, a person in strife and offense is demonized. There's no question about that. When... Everything is more important than walking in love and in unity of the faith. Not unity of doctrine. That's a big misconception. The Bible nowhere tells us to be, have unity of doctrine. It says unity of the faith in what? In Christ. Amen. And His principal command to you and to me, not tolerance, as the world says, but love one another. That is what He has said to do. So somebody on the outside, His message is repent. The first message he ever preached. Amen. So say it with me. I refuse to get into strife, to get into offense. It's a transformation killer. Now, if you have the guts to show up Sunday morning, I'll be talking about the damage it does and, and how to live above it in Jesus' name. Amen. But for now, just watch. You know, just be honest with yourself. You know, I, I, you know I'm, I'm justifiably in strife right now. I'm upset about this. Find out if the envy is there. Find out, you know, if the hatred is there. Find out if the sin is there. The world is, you know, the lust is there. Be honest with yourself. And all of a sudden, your desire to be, you know, angry and uptight and filled with strife is going to melt away. Because you're going to realize that guess who the problem is? Your focus won't be some other person at that point. Amen. Everybody can say amen or oh me. Amen. Amen. And how many know if you had to say oh me, there's forgiveness. Yes. And fresh starts. Praise the Lord. And everybody in this room has needed them from time to time. So why don't we just all repent together? Get it over with. Amen. Let's pray. Say, so Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I recognize there is pressure to get into strife and to get into offense. 
from time to time. I've yielded to it for various reasons. Lord, I repent over those things that precipitated my strife and offense. And it really wasn't what somebody else said or did. There were things in my own heart. And Lord, you know what they are. I ask your forgiveness. I'm making a decision to live strife free. I value the transformation you're doing in my life. I don't want it dead. I don't want it killed by strife. So Lord, I repent of all strife. I repent of all offense. I repent of all bitterness. In Jesus' name, I release everyone for everything they've ever done, ever said, that wounded me or hurt me. I release them. I forgive them as I have been forgiven. In Jesus' name, I'm making a bold stand to resist vehemently all forms of strife and offense and division. I'm walking in love and peace and joy and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. I'm going to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, my transformation is ongoing. Say bully, I am conforming to the image of Christ, His heart, His values, His beliefs, His priorities, His character, His nature, His purpose, His example, in Jesus' name. Amen.